Hello everyone and welcome back. This is Francesco, your host, and today we have the pleasure to jump in back in the world of clouds. And specifically we speak with uh, Sarah Young that gives us the perspective, if you want, a little bit more from Australia perspective of Microsoft. And we explore how she grew into uh, the cloud and how she became to on the security aspect of the cloud and now she is uh, branching out in AI so we'll touch maybe a little bit on that but we explore a little bit what's happening what uh, is going on in Azure cloud and why it is interesting to look at that and why as a security professional we should absolutely look at that because everybody needs to know a little bit about the cloud and I might be a little bit biased because I live in the clouds <laughs> but uh, I think it's really really important because the world is moving in that direction and the more we know it the more we can react so I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you are and gonna look inside a little bit of the cloud security by the way uh, the Cloud Security Alliance is issuing out the new cloud control metrics, so you should definitely look into that as soon as it's up. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. This is your host, Francesco. Stay safe and look in the clouds. Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.patreon.com cybercloudpodcast.com Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This is your host Francesco and today we have the absolute pleasure to have a person joining us from a very very far away land <laughs> and a very very far away time zone. Sarah Young joining us. Can I say down under? <laughs> Yeah, you can say down so. under. I'm a long way away. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Yang, she is official title, uh, the senior program manager for Azure Security or Sentinel. <laughs> but tell Sarah, welcome to the show. But tell us a little bit about your background, your history. Sure. Um, thanks for having me. So yeah, that I am down down under. I'm uh, basically ahead of everyone time zone wise. Um, it, wherever you are in the world, unless you're in New Zealand, well, unless you're in New Zealand or I think Fiji, then you're behind me. Um, but um, yeah, as, as um, yeah, future. I am a senior, yeah, <laughs> I am a senior program manager um, working in Azure Security. Uh, I'm currently based uh, in Wellington in New Zealand. Um, I've been working for Microsoft for um, about 18 months now. Um, and I've been in Azure Security the whole time I've been here. So that's really exciting. So currently my product focus uh, within the whole Azure Security space, because it's very big, is uh, Azure Sentinel. But I also do dabble in most of the other Azure Security products as well. So what I do at the moment is I... Uh, 
and help customers basically use our products if they want to and remove technical blockers. So mm -hmm. if there's something you don't know how to build or uh, there's a feature missing, then we will help make workarounds or uh, if um, we also feedback things to the product group who are developing the products so we get the right things in. Um, so that's what I do at the moment. Uh, before that, I was a Azure security architect. And so I went around most customers in the Asia region, uh, what Microsoft terms as Asia. And I would go and advise our customers on how they could build security infrastructure within Azure or even within a hybrid environment. So mm -hmm. hybrid might be cloud and on-prem it might be several clouds and on-prem so so that's what i did and before that i uh i've worked as a security consultant for other clouds uh in my previous lives uh, i've been a security internal security consultant in financial services and i've also been a consultant and right back at the very beginning because i haven't been in security forever um i was a network and infrastructure engineer and giving away my age a little bit when we we were doing infrastructure engineering uh, at that time that was data center migration and when we say data center migration i mean the real old school Heavy data lifting. center migration <laughs> into an actual real data center which of course nobody would do nowadays it's it's amazing how quickly technology moves on yeah it, it, and it was a time when security was not cool <laughs> Oh no, security wasn't, yeah. I mean, I know we talked about this before we hit record, but <laughs> security, I went into security about, about seven-ish years ago now. And I remember it, it wasn't a conscious choice. Um, I joined a new company. I thought I was doing infrastructure engineering, which is what I was doing in the job before. And when I started, they were like, oh yeah, we don't really do work like that, but but you're technical, right? Okay, cool. So go help security. And <laughs> that, that is actually how I got into security. They, security and I by remember, punishment. Yeah. And I remember being like, oh, I don't want to go do security. That sounds boring. And this as this was maybe a couple of years before security got got cool and trendy um, and then i realized when i started doing security work that it, it was actually quite interesting and there was heaps and heaps of opportunity far more so than being a network engineer and i found i quite liked it and i stuck with it so here i am but now of course security is very cool and, and people, <laughs> with the cool kids are on the blog now <laughs> the cool kids work in security now and i'm still a little bit confused by that because yeah, I don't consider myself to be particularly cool, but I do like security. And and now suddenly so many people, you, I get asked regularly, you know, I love security. I really want to work in security. How do I get into security? Mm -hmm. And that's great that there's so many people wanting to do something in the security field, but it's just such a contrast with before security became cool. Nobody really necessarily wanted to do security. So yeah, yeah. very interesting change over the years. Well, security used to be the guys that say no. Right now, we are the guy, we are the cool kid that say maybe. Let's let's figure it out. It's true. It's definitely true. Uh, yeah, um, I know uh, my my dad. Who my dad is retired now and didn't work in tech, but he worked in a big corporate organization. He he. He was like, ah, yes, security, the business prevention department, the ones, <laughs> the, the ones who say no. And I'm like, yep, yep, that, that's, that's me. Uh, a common uh, perception of security, but well, not so is, much anymore. It's changing. It is in certain cases, it's easy in certain cases, but it's, it's more towards business uh, acumen and risk management. And I think 
the shift was when we started introducing CSEO or Chief Information Security Officer that start working with the business and start taking that risk approach rather than security on the back burner with the other part of IT saying, well, just is a cost or is, 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 a, is a drawback or is right now security is a must. Yeah, no, definitely. And there's so many bits to security and security is not about saying no. Well, it's not about saying no all the time, but most <laughs> of the time you don't, it's not fair. Most of the time you don't say no, you say, and in fact, I, I always argue when, when I talk to people about this, only, and, and, and I'm sure possibly controversial statement, generally only bad security people say no. Um, and what I mean by that is that um, if you can't say yes to something, which absolutely does happen, it should be, uh, yes, but you're going to have to change these things, mm -hmm. or you're going to have to do this control differently or do this architecture differently, or you're going to have to retest this because of course, there's no point having security. If you know, you're going to completely stop your business or your organization functioning. So it should always be a yes, but yeah. <laughs> and then you, it's, it's part of a security professional's job to help a business work out how they can do what they want to do from a technical standpoint, but, but you know, rather than just going, nah, sorry, not doing it. Like that's not a good security person in my opinion. No, not I anymore. Guess, not I, anymore. It used to be the, anymore, the, the yeah. one that blocked the firewall port and say, nah, this is not going in. Oh, yeah. Certainly it used to be the case that the more things you could say no to the better because you were protecting your organization. If you could just say no, no, I'm not opening that firewall port. No, I'm not allowing this change. No, you've got one low, low impact vulnerability mm. in your pen test. You're not going live. Yeah, no, it's changed. It's definitely changed. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate, but then uh, since we cover a little bit, what is your, what is, we have a tradition to start with, like, an opinion on the industry, an overview on the industry, what, what, what's your feeling, what's your pulse on the industry, what's your... So, so many things. Security is, of course, security is changing all the time, and there's loads of people getting into security or wanting to, which is great, and I think the thing that I my feeling, I mean, I'm a little bit biased here because this is the area I work in, but I do think that we need, and, and we're getting there, more security people need to understand cloud concepts a bit better. I think that's where we're lagging in that. And when I say lagging, what I mean is there are, we don't have enough security people as it is. Everybody knows there's a shortage of security professionals. Um, but I think there's an even bigger shortage of security professionals that understand cloud. And I'm not even calling out a particular cloud here. I just mean mm -hmm. cloud platforms in general, because of course the, the way you implement controls is quite different in cloud and architectures can be different. And what I've seen, and this is in my current role, in a number of previous roles as well, like I said, I've worked with other clouds in the past as well, is that security folks who don't understand cloud security um, are actually 
they can actually really hinder a business's progression because the, the fact is the majority of business organizations nowadays and not all of them because some have reasons not to um for example national security etc um but you know the majority of organizations are going to a cloud or at least partially going to a cloud um that's the way things are going nowadays and i think that some the lack at least in some areas the lack of uh, security knowledge from a cloud perspective is meaning that cloud adoption is being hindered by uh security people who as you know our default is to say no especially if we don't understand it's easier just to, it's safer to say no because they don't understand something and that doesn't help organizations. And again, it doesn't help the reputation of security within an organization, but also it means that sometimes the wrong decisions are made because mm. they don't understand the differences in the architecture. So my kind of thing, and like I said, this is the, my little bit of security I work in is that we need to get more security people understanding cloud principles. And as I said, it doesn't even need to be a specific cloud, but just in principle, how things change. So with the shared responsibility model, of course, when you move to a cloud, um, quite a lot of, and it depends precisely what model of cloud you go to and what services you're using, but you know, you're handing over quite a lot of your security controls to your cloud provider. And, understanding those concepts and knowing how you can still satisfy security requirements uh, from a business perspective. Like I think as an industry, we need to get more people up to speed on that. We're, yeah. we're getting there, but there's a definite shortage and I do see it cause, I have seen for a number of years now that that caused problems because uh, as I said, security people's default is if they don't understand to say no, which is not, which isn't well, helping. It's fair. It's fair. It, 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 it's a oh. scary factor to say, well, I'd rather not do it than do, do it insecurely. Yeah. Well, to, and, and, and full confession, I too in the past have said no to things I don't properly understand because you know, I have done it too in previous lives. We we know, but um, for cloud adoption, which isn't going away, you know, mm -hmm. many um, organizations, you know, at a strategic level may have decided we're going cloud first. Everything that we're, everything that we're now going to build um, is going in the cloud. So um, if that decision's made at a strategic level, like security have got to catch up to be able to understand that so they can give the business the right advice. Well, not only security, also regulation, oh. also compliance. Yeah. There is uh, several aspects that still lives uh, far away. I mean, the FCS for the regulation here in, in the UK for the financial service has started catching up and, and putting forward regulation for the cloud and the UK government has started putting regulation for the cloud so that the government itself can adopt cloud in a secure way. Mm. Uh, but it's, it, it took so long and we're still slowly catching up. But if you look at PCI DSS, for example, they still mandate, for example, uh, IPS. How do I plug my IPS into the cloud? And it's you don't effectively own almost half of the network. So it's, it's a clunky concept to put in there. Or the firewall itself is a clunky concept to nowadays put it in there, right? Definitely. And, and we know that 
we know that regulations in general, not even just cloud specific ones, we know that regulations take five to 10 years to catch up with the reality mm -hmm. of the technology. That's always been the case. And unfortunately, I don't think that's going away anytime soon either. <laughs> but hey, the UK is doing well. If the UK has um, some cloud adoption guidelines, that's better than some other uh, countries in the world like plenty of countries don't have anything yet so yeah no i think the uk government took a stand on uh, cloud first and is really really pushing hard on cloud adoption and sometimes even more than cloud adoption so from from normal organization i would say you know i asked so lift and shift your data center into another data center that is the cloud and like for like but sometimes i've seen uh, also innovation where you start leveraging you know, inside cloud controls like key management or access control list or the multi-factor identity and access management, you start leveraging those for your internal service and, and start to rethink the service. I think for me, that's the second step of adoption of the cloud where you start morphing and building service inside the cloud. Mm, and Obviously, it depends where you are in the world as well. I can give you an example from here in New Zealand. So in New Zealand, at least currently, um, that's actually going to change in a few years' time. Um, but in New Zealand at the moment, there are no cloud, big global cloud providers mm -hmm. based in New Zealand. None of them have data centers in New Zealand at the moment. So uh, no AWS, no Microsoft, no Google. Now, actually... Got to, got to shout it out. Microsoft has recently announced we're going to build data centers in New Zealand, but that's going to take a couple of years. So like take New Zealand for the moment. So if you want to use any of the major cloud providers in New Zealand, they do most of the, all of them have data centers in Australia mm. and Australia is relatively close to New Zealand. It's well, three and a half, four hours on a plane to the East coast of Australia from New Zealand, but it's also a different country. Yeah. And, 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 and Australia and New Zealand are very good friends, but, you know, essentially you're putting your, uh, your data and, and, every, and your workloads in another jurisdiction. And so data that, sovereignty is a yeah, that provides hot, huge challenges. And of course this is just, and there are other examples I could give in other parts of the world, but I'll give New Zealand seeing as I'm here. So it's, it's a big thing. It's like, do, can you put all your workloads in another country? What if New Zealand and Australia suddenly went to war? I mean, I don't think that's going to happen apart from rugby, but you know, <laughs> um, apart from rugby or cricket or something, but um, you know, it's it, in terms of business risk, it's kind of something that needs to be thought about. So there's loads of interesting challenges in, in different parts of the world and they're not always the same, of course. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And uh, I think you, you brought up a really important point where, uh, even in the UK, Microsoft started building a lot of data center at a certain point, especially in light of Brexit, because with Brexit, it was, okay, Northern Europe, but Europe and Northern Europe, but they start strengthening the position for Northern Europe and the adoption in the UK, because as you rightfully say, you don't want to have data in a data center that is outside your, your, your jurisdiction. Mm, yeah, and of course, yeah, not every even between all the big cloud providers, the big global cloud providers, there are definitely countries that don't have a data center in them at the moment. Mm. So that's a bit of a, yeah, that's a risk decision. Do you, do you put it in another country's data center? Of course, 
Um, if you're an organization, a commercial organization, it's probably a little bit of an easier call to make. But if you're government, it might not even be possible. Yeah, I guess that's it right. depends on your depends on your government, I guess. No, you have certain categories of documents that can't go in the cloud at all. And that even if they go in the cloud, it needs to be inside a specific country. So you raise a, a, a really good point. Hey, Francesco here. A very quick message from our sponsor and then we return back. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important, focusing on your clients and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on-premise and on the cloud. Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote. But then circling back, how have you seen the Microsoft offering growing or diminishing or moving in in the time you've been there or, or in the past? Because you've been involved in cloud, cloud migration for quite a while now. Yeah, so that's a really good question. So I think what I've always been, what always struck me, and this was even before I joined Microsoft as an employee, was that uh, Microsoft Azure focuses on lots of inbuilt tools. Mm -hmm. So um, other other cloud providers are are a little bit more focused on um, sort of just providing the the bare metal, for want of a better phrase, um, and the sort of additional tools you would go to a specialized partner to buy, um, Mm -hmm. whereas what's always struck me about Microsoft and Azure is that we actually build in quite a lot of that stuff into the platform. Now, that's not to say you might not need to pay for it, but it's actually already part of the Microsoft offering. So um, the one, the first thing I ever saw, because it sticks in my head, because this was, again, this was probably about a year before I started working at Microsoft. So it wasn't even on the cards. And I saw a presentation uh, by uh, in Canada by the amazing Tanya Janka, who- uh, Yes, um, shout out to Tanya. Yes, who, Hi, Tanya. Shout out to Tanya. You're awesome. And I saw her do a presentation in Canada about uh, Azure Security Center. And I remember thinking, because I was not working uh, with Azure and I wasn't working for Microsoft at the time, I was like, wow, that's just built in as like, well, the basic version is free. Um, That's built in as a free tool into Azure. That's pretty cool, actually. Like, that's really, it's, it's really, so for those of you who don't know what Azure Security Center is, I should explain quickly. It's, it's a tool that if you turn it on, it provides basic, it provides security recommendations um, to help strengthen your infrastructure. So for example, if you've configured a web app, and you've just turned on HTTP rather than HTTPS, it will actually give you a recommendation saying, hey, I think you need to change this HTTP to HTTPS. And if you have virtual machines that are missing patches and security updates, it'll tell you things like that too. Um, it's got a huge number of recommendations. And, that is, uh, and, and those security recommendations are just built into the platform. Yeah. And, and 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 I was like, wow, that's really cool. And of course, it's you've still got to work through the recommendations and, and and fix the things that need to be fixed. But it's I think it's a really great way to 
because um of course you know when you move when you know when we move into cloud a lot of roles get mixed up so mm -hmm. you know you used to have very clearly defined roles like you had database you had wintel you had linux you had network and when you start moving into cloud a lot of these roles get all shuffled together or they start to take on aspects of each other and definitely um if we talk if we throw all the buzzwords in if we talk like devsecops then um, let's <laughs> throw in the buzzwords we can throw in shift to the um Shift to the left as well. We can shift to the left as well. But if you're starting to do that, and most businesses are trying to do that, then of course there's a lot of, there starts to be more overlap in roles. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got developers who are now, or, or people who traditionally didn't have to care about security so much because that was checked by somebody else in the organization, now we've got people being you know, put, having a certain level of trust put in them to actually do some security things. And if you're still relatively new to security, having a tool that, so Azure Security Center isn't going to tell you anything that an experienced security professional wouldn't know. But yeah. if, if you've got new teams who didn't traditionally do security, who are now looking after a cloud platform, it's great to have those reminders saying, hey, did you know this is configured like this? Mm -hmm. This is not good. You should fix this. And even for experienced security professionals, it's a it's really... A it's a baseline and it's a reminder because nobody is perfect. We are all yeah. humans. Um, now, there are other ways, of course, you can enforce things in Azure as well. Um, uh, but this is, again, another check to remind you like, hey, you did a stupid thing here. Maybe you should fix this <laughs> in a very nice, polite way. But it's the process. I, I, I like that approach. I really like that approach because it takes, um, you know, the basic uh, right and everybody can have a reference point if you use, so the more you use the cloud tool, that's why a lot of the time I push for cloud tool, native cloud tool adoption, because then you can use security center at, uh, or, or, or the AWS uh, security hub, or everybody is going towards that way, but you can use those security recommendation because those tools actually rely heavily on the embedded service. When you have though, um, machines that are not communicating at all with uh, the, um, if you lift and shift uh, into the cloud, then you don't leverage all the benefit of the cloud. So if you have a firewall, uh, Azure Security Center, for some firewalls see them, but from some other is blinded. Mm, if you, if it, yeah, it depends on what it is, but you're right. Like using cloud native where you can, I think it's always, always a good idea that are, of course, there are, if, if you use um, uh, virtual appliances running yeah. virtualized firewalls, um, it, you know, that's also fine, but, uh, you know, um, there are great benefits to using cloud native stuff because, of course, things scale. You don't have to worry about having a DMZ or high avail availability and, and things like that. So I think definitely uh, there are pluses and minuses to both approaches, sure. but I think that um, and you know, the, the, and to be fair, the pluses are that you know, if you if you're familiar with a particular product, say I don't know Palo Alto or Cisco ASA, if if your team is familiar with using those on premise and you want to put them in the cloud, it's nice to have something that's familiar. Yeah. But um, and so there and and sometimes there are particular features or, or configurations that customers might want, and and that's cool. Uh, but if, but using cloud native has many pros as well mostly being around yeah uh, just like they have they they can scale they're part of software defined networking 
So you don't have to configure DMZ. You don't have to maintain the VMs that are running underneath them. Yeah, always, it's the same with everything in, yeah. in security. There are pros and cons to both. And there's never, you know, for, well, I say there's never a right way and a wrong way. There are some things, of course, that are definitely wrong in security that you shouldn't do. Like, you know, expose a web app to the internet with nothing in front of it. But you know what I mean. Usually with architectural... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, or an FTP server. That that would be bad too. But in general, when we're talking about architectural decisions, do I use this over this and blah blah? There's usually pros and cons to both, and and that's where you. That's why security architects exist, right? And yeah. that's why we all have jobs. So. <laughs> but also to double check the architecture and to suggest migration, so it could be a transition from traditional firewall to access control, because then the team that uses DevOps mentality or DevSecOps mentality can deploy an application with the whole infrastructure stuff in one go in a scripted way, instead of, you know, I have deployed four layers of firewall at the various layer of uh, the infrastructure. And I still, once I deploy my deployment into the cloud, I still need to go to the firewall people to say, can you open my port? And that's not really DevOps. But then as you rightfully say, there is the trust element of, okay, just go and deploy your app, but just make sure it's secure. Yeah. And, and, the thing, the thing is as well, you don't have to go all in immediately because doing any kind of shift into cloud is a big job. And if it's that you say, okay, we're going to move all our applications, we're going to move all these workloads, but for now we're going to leave the firewalls as they are. We're going to use whatever mm -hmm. we use on premise and then we'll come back to that. You know, it, it's, I know it's cheesy, but it's a journey. So, but it's true. It is. You don't have to do everything from the word go. We need the buzzword bingo though. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I've done plenty. I'm really, I'm good at buzzword bingo. It's, um, I'm very good at buzzword bingo. But it, it, I mean, that I know it's cheesy, but it is very true. You don't mm. have to go from zero to 100 in one migration. It can be phased because yeah. you've only got so many people, so many resources. You know, it's so it's, it's all about just picking, okay. Um, are we going to lift and shift the whole data center in um, just a straight lift and shift and then try and optimize it, uh, which is the quick and dirty way to put things into a data center or is it, or, or the cloud rather, or are we going to say, okay, everything that's new, uh, we will build, um, you know, like uh, infrastructure as code and, and modern running apps. And then we'll refactor things before they go across to the data center um, or go across to the cloud. Now that, always sounds nice in in reality but the problem is with that is of course that refactoring applications can take a long time and depending on how old and clunky your application is it could be hard if not impossible to do that depending mm -hmm. on the application and so uh, and sometimes and i have worked with customers in the past um, you know they may have a deadline to get out of a data center or, or a hosting agreement. And so maybe you don't have time to sit and refactor everything over a number of years. There's, there's just so many variables in all of this. So yeah. many. And refactoring costs money. So it, it needs oh, to be... And there's that too. And it and requires it, developers who understand cloud native to, to be able to refactor. That in itself is a skill set, right? Yeah. But it, it also is a learning exercise because you know the application, you refactor it instead of rebuilding one from scratch, it, it, it could be a good learning exercise. So as a quick win, I always suggest choose the least impact in the application, try to modify it as an exercise rather than uh, as a business plan. And then they will tell you 
exactly the cost, the timeline, you know, you have a template then to say, I want to refactor a major app. I have a template to use to, to know how much, for example, um, it's going to cost me, you know, to refactor it or to, and how much money I'm going to save because using cloud native could be, well, instead of four virtual machine, I have one that runs all uh, always on demand and there is a Lambda function or an, uh, an Azure function that's get called in whenever an API get called and then the machine gets spin up and spin down and you could save like massive amount of money because you don't have machine that constantly run. Yeah, yeah, you can do that as well. You're absolutely right. Like that, that's also a way of being more efficient. It's just, yeah. in, just in case you've got that damn machine that needs to run all the time that you can't refactor. <laughs> and also reduce the attack surface because spinning yes, yep. ephemeral machines, I love the ephemeral machines. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's good, good buzzwords, good buzzwords. We love uh, You got me, you got me in there. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we almost come to the, to the, to the time limit. <laughs> I, want, I want to ask you another couple of things. I kept, I kept it at the end. You've been you've been a woman in this industry. You you probably face some challenge, but I don't want to focus on the challenge. I want to focus on the positive aspect. So to leave to leave everybody with what is the journey? What did you do? What are the good thing you learn and what good thing you leverage? And yeah, let's focus on the positive side of women inside that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and I agree with you. It's good to focus on the positive. I mean, um, I have like every woman who's worked in this industry come across challenges but i think there are some i think being a woman has its challenges in tech but there are also things you can really use to your advantage so for example if, if you are one of the only women in the room or one of the only women who goes for a job people are just going to remember you uh, but you will get remembered just by default because you're a bit different and you know what um that's not a bad thing because if it's if someone remembers you, um, obviously you want them to remember you for being good um, and, and positive reasons. But um, being remembered is better than fading into the background in terms of your career development, networking, etc. So um, I think I always advise people to. Um, I mean, you're not going to run around going, I'm a woman, I'm a woman. Like people can t see what gender you are. Um, yes. <laughs> people, it's usually fairly obvious what gender you are, but it does help you be remembered and stand out from the crowd without having to do anything apart from be there. Mm -hmm. And so I always say to anyone who asks me this, like, use that to your advantage. Um, it, rather than seeing it, flip it on its head. Rather than maybe feeling awkward going, oh, I'm the only woman in the room. I feel awkward. Be like, cool. I'm the <laughs> only woman in the room. Me. I'm the only other woman in the room, get in, this is great. Um, and I mean, it does, it does, it really does happen though. I, honestly, people remember you because you stand out a bit. And so use it to your advantage, work what, what we do have advantage wise, you should absolutely work. The other thing is, um, and this has been talked about a lot as well, but I, I like to touch on it. Do observe we did some we had some in training internal training uh, that uh, i did want in one of my jobs and we talked about rather than talking about things that guys do and things that ladies do we talked about 
uh, traditionally masculine and traditionally feminine traits. And I think that's a much better way of phrasing it because, mm. of course, um, you could be um, you could be male or identify as male, but you could um, you could identify with some of what we would traditionally see as more feminine traits. And I thought that was a really positive way to look at things. But something that we uh, a more feminine trait and in general is that and I know this one comes up a lot that women won't apply for jobs unless they have every single qualification on the list. And we know that, that jobs, um, and I, uh, we know that jobs are usually a manager just being like, okay, ideally I'd like X, 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 X. And they not necessarily seriously thinking they need all of these. It's kind mm -hmm. of a wish list. And I saw an amazing thing on Twitter, which, uh, that made me laugh. And I thought was so relevant. Um, it said, Trump applying for the presidency is as a perfect example of a guy looking at a job and being like, I could do that with no qualifications whatsoever. And I don't know that, that I think, I love um, that. <laughs> yeah, I know it made me laugh so much. Um, and, um, because you know, the guy has never, no matter what you think about um, him as a person, uh, the fact is that before he ran for president, he had no political qualifications sure. whatsoever. Um, and he just said, look, so all I say to you ladies out there in tech is uh, do be confident, look at um, those more masculine traits of being confident, seeing a, a job description and, and not worrying so much if you don't have every single thing on there. And just think of Trump, okay? Trump looked at the presidency and said, I can do that. And guess what? He's the president. So if it, if, if it I know it's quite funny, but it, it serious point underneath, like, don't be discouraged. And as I was taught by, by my dad was, um, go for it because what's the worst that could happen? They're going to say no. And you get on with your day. There's, yeah. you, you, you avoid it. To lose. Yeah. If you avoid it, you, you never know if it's no or yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah. And as I said, just remember Trump and you will be a okay. <laughs> just remember Trump applied for a job that probably he wasn't very qualified for. So if he won, <laughs> exactly. you probably have a very good chance to win any kind of job. <laughs> I know. I know. Anyway, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming from the future to the past. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and thank it's, you for having me it's been lovely it's been a lovely conversation thank you very much have a lovely thank evening you. evening yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep yep well remembered thank you bye we hope you enjoyed today's episode if you did consider leaving us a review or sponsoring us on patreon it helps us bring on amazing guests and keep the podcast alive and free consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP and watch other episodes at www.cybercloudpodcast.com.